0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. As Massachusetts students returned to full time school this spring, one major part of the return for many districts was pooled testing, which provides a way to test students and staff regularly for COVID 19. The state's pooled testing program is run by several organizations, one of which is CIC Health. With me today to talk about it are CIC Health CEO Tim Rowe and head of pooled testing Bill Jacobson, who's also the former CEO of Workbar. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Tim, before we even get to the pooled testing program, I want to ask you more about the Cambridge Innovation Center started CIC Health during the COVID era, and it's offered individual and group COVID testing. You're also administering vaccines. Big picture, how do you see testing continuing to play a role, especially now that vaccines are also part of the picture?
1: All right. Well, first of all, Shira, thank you very much for having us here. Um, and Bill, thanks for joining this morning. Uh, you're right, things are changing. Um, as of uh, yesterday, we heard that uh, 12 year olds and older will be able to get vaccines immediately. Uh, my nephew is getting one right now. And I think many of us in Massachusetts are excited to get to the point where now you know, everyone 12 years and older who wants a vaccine will have it. We also know that Massachusetts is, um, has a very high level of uh, kind of vaccine responsibility, if you will, um, getting the vaccine when they're eligible, which is uh, having a meaningful impact on the spread of the, the disease. So that leaves us in a new, in a new, new normal here in Massachusetts uh, uh, re- with regard to, uh, you know, what it's going to look like in school in the fall. Um, our perspective, and I think this is shared by others in the industry and, in, and um, uh, those in policymakers that we've spoken with, um, both federal and, and also otherwise, is that we are going to have a period of time where not everyone has the vaccine. And it's a little unclear what age, younger age groups will get have the vaccine. And we have a world which is gonna have storming COVID. Um, the current forecast at present vaccination rates is that it will take more than four years for the world to get to herd immunity in COVID. Which means that there's the possibility of new strains that make it as they have done all along from other countries to the United States. Those new strains may or may not be fully protected against by the current vaccines that we have. And so if you are a policymaker making a plan for the fall and you want kids in school and you wanna get us back to something like um, the economy that we had uh, prior to the pandemic, you probably want to have in place a system that you know is gonna work to track, is there disease spreading? If it's spreading, what strains are they? And if there's a significant population which is not protected by vaccines, and that may be a lot of the kids in this country, uh, you wanna make sure that they're not spreading, uh, spreading that disease uh, within society, because obviously kids can be a bridge spreading disease from family to family. Um, so um, we expect, and the state expects, and, and uh, everyone we know expects, that there will be a fair amount of testing going on through the fall, at least, even if there is low prevalence of COVID in society, as a way of making sure that that does not become a vector for spread.
0: And are you seeing a slowdown in testing already now that the vaccines are available?
1: So in schools, we're seeing an increase in testing, even though vaccines are available, seeing more and more every week. And that's for the reasons I just stated. Uh, This is viewed as a way of making sure that this one part of society, which uh, is not yet fully protected, is, is not becoming a vector for spread. Um, and really, to encourage parents to send their kids back to school. Um, outside of school testing, yes, there's been a slowdown. Uh, not a dramatic slowdown, but fewer people are getting tested in, for instance, the public testing sites.
0: So, Bill, let's turn to you. Um, pool testing. Explain to me what pool testing is and how it works.
2: So, pool testing is where um, a group of individuals each does a shallow nose swab uh, sample. This is how we're doing pooled testing. Um, So it's an easy swab, they get combined, uh, two to 10 samples get combined into a single sample. That sample goes to the lab and comes back with a negative or a positive, the negative means that no COVID was present in any of the samples that made up the pool. And the positive means that there was some COVID uh, detected by the lab. And so what happens then is each of the individuals will do a follow-up test. And there's a variety of different ways that that can happen to find out uh, who was providing the the COVID into the overall sample. It's proven to be a very effective assurance testing. So this is all done on people that are asymptomatic, you know, school kids and teachers and people going going about their day, not showing any signs of symptoms, but it's a really efficient way, um, both in the operations and the economics to, to test a large group of people and, and find if there is some individuals that could be leading to further spread.
0: So how many schools are you testing in and how many tests are you conducting?
2: Uh, so we are testing in approximately 500 schools currently across. Uh, this is just within the public Massachusetts system. There's additional schools that CIC uh, is testing with both in Massachusetts and around the country, but I'm specifically talking about the program that, uh, that, that the Massachusetts is, is providing to public schools. So it's about 500 schools and we're testing about 50,000 kids every week, but kids and adults.
0: So what are you learning? What kind of positivity rate are you finding? Are we able to learn anything from your program about whether there is COVID transmission in the schools?
2: So we're learning that the positivity rate is quite low and it's actually been decreasing from when we started the, the program. Um, and we're learning that the, the spread week to week is not happening. So we are not seeing where within a specific cohort, if you then test the following week that cohort is not having uh, transmission happen for those cases where there are a positive pool. So, so the, I, I mean, the bottom line of that is this program is really working as a way to detect and stop uh, and, and, and at least know that spread is not happening within, uh, within a school type building.
0: So is the implication that we can be moving towards reopening more schools safely?
2: Uh, Yeah, that is the implication. And this works, at least what the program has demonstrated is this works very well in conjunction with other uh, methods that are being taken to, to keep people safe within this environment. Um, But The the testing has a number of effects. It has you know a physical effect of finding the individuals and making sure that they are not week to week um, spreading to other people, but it has a psychological effect as well, and giving giving everybody in the building the, the 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 feeling that hey I can go more back to normal. I can go send my kids off to school. Feel safe that they're going going to be going back to their routines, and, and life will get back to normal uh, as, as quick as we can.
0: Are there particular communities where this type of surveillance testing makes the most sense? I mean, are you looking primarily at communities with high risk of spread, with low risk of spread? Does it matter?
2: I mean, my view on that is it it, it doesn't really matter. This is a really good basis, you know, back to a little bit of what Tim was saying, we don't know what the future is going to bring. We we know what's happening now, and um, we're starting to open up and starting to go back to our, our items, but everybody is not vaccinated. We don't know what the strains will be doing, and people need assurance that they're the, the places they're sending their kids, the things that we're doing are are safe across the board and, and we want to like what, what I've been focusing on is how do we make that a highly efficient system so that this can just take a couple minutes out of the day We we want our schools to be places of education we want our classrooms to be where where our kids going to, to meet other kids and to get an education. And so, so can we just make that testing five to 10 minutes out of the day and not a heavy lift for everybody? And, and I think that's a key part to making this program a big success. Uh, you know, Tim and I are, as you know, have been, we are imagining that this will continue into the fall and we want there to be a world where there doesn't need to be a Zoom school along with an in-person school. We're really getting back to in-person learning. And that means that people will go down to less social distancing, things like that will have to happen. And so having a highly efficient assurance testing plan is a way to make sure that, you know, even if different strains or different uh, items happen that, that we just can't foresee, we'll be able to detect them and take some action um, depending on whatever the future brings.
1: I think that was well said.
0: And this might be more of a question for Tim, I'm not sure, but how do the finances of this work? Is the state paying CIC Health? Do schools or families have to pay? How much do you charge for a test?
1: Yeah, it's actually free to the families, free to the schools, and free to the state. Uh, the federal government provided the funds to do testing in the whole country for all teachers and students. Uh, the second thing about pool testing is that it is actually very inexpensive for the federal government. Um, early days in the pandemic, the cost of a test if you went down to CVS would be $150. 150 um, We work with the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard, which is a large nonprofit well-respected lab here in Massachusetts. And they were able uh, to streamline it. They used robotics and other things. And they brought the price of a test down to $50. But then in the fall, they innovated using this technology called pool testing that we talked about where 10 swabs from 10 people go into a single tube. And they also were able to do that tube for $50. So that works out to about $5 per, per swab Or if you think about the fact that these tests are needed about once a week it's really just a dollar per day per student and uh, that's obviously a a very low cost for uh, the kind of safety and assurance that this provides uh, schools and families.
0: And I remember early on in the pandemic there was some concern that this use of surveillance testing at schools was only being done at the wealthier school dist- in the wealthier school districts, um, that it might be done at private schools that had the resources to pay for it. And I think the state program that we've been all talking about was an attempt to mitigate those inequalities. Do you have a sense now how prevalent surveillance testing is in the private schools compared to the public schools? and have we been successful? Are all districts who want it now able to access these tests?
1: So everyone who wants it is now able to access it. Um, it is the case that the early movers were often the independent schools um, and uh, those schools almost universally are testing. I think there are a handful of schools that aren't, but most uh, independent schools uh, began testing back in August or September. Um, the public schools, uh, some of them started in the fall. They did uh, individual uh, requests for proposal at the, at the town level and found the funds. So there were a number of public schools that did start testing in the fall, uh, but you're right; it wasn't until the state stepped in and said, "Look, we're going to make sure there are funds for this for all schools," uh, that that broadened out. Um, and at this point, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, you know well over half the schools in the state um, testing. Um, the many of those that aren't are, are small rural schools where they may not have even seen a single COVID case, and they just, I think, didn't didn't see the, the need for it.
2: I mean, I'll add one to that, that I I think the state has really, um, really done a lot for Massachusetts and for the country uh, in this. Massachusetts is the, the, really the only state that, that I know of that has done such a comprehensive program. And it's enabled companies like CIC Health and our lab partner, The Broad and others to to scale up our operations and and really look across many districts and develop all of these kind of best practices and learnings that are now turning into a model for other states and other programs a, a, around the country. Um, and and what the state did is they said you can have a free to the district testing program, but you can also have the people that are going to need to run that, uh, the couriers that need to take the la the, the samples to the labs, the coordinators, the on-site help, and, you know they they've really worked to and, and so have we to to take the barriers down and make this so that it is not a big lift for the schools.
0: So a couple of months ago, I had another guest on the podcast, Dr. Michael Minna of Harvard School of Public Health who's really been a strong proponent of these at-home tests, you know, essentially like almost like an at-home pregnancy test where, you know, you can wake up the morning, spit on something, it tells you whether you have COVID. Now that some of these tests are starting to become available, and I know it's still early stages, do you have a sense that these type of at-home tests might replace some of the PCR tests or some of the pooled testing that you're doing? You know, what's, what's the prognosis for testing going forward?
1: So first of all, uh, we agree with Dr. Mina that the point of care tests are absolutely terrific and uh, they have come more and more of them have been released. They're getting better and better, they're getting cheaper. Um, the The best of them that I know still are in that sort of 40 or 50 dollar range. Um, there are some anti-gen tests that are more like 10-ish dollars uh, and generally are acknowledged at being less accurate at detecting, uh, the virus than 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 the PCR tests or those more expensive tests. So for a school to be able to do mass testing for five dollars at the PCR level of accuracy, nothing has come close to that yet. Um, certainly, if a technology arrives that is uh, viable, you know is in sort of uh, accurate and inexpensive, I think we and others would would consider it. Where those uh, point of care tests are looking to be pretty interesting, is that after you've done a pool test, and on average, each, each school gets a positive pool once every five weeks right now in Massachusetts. We expect that that will be less than that in the fall. Maybe it'll be once an entire semester, they'll have a positive pool. Uh, that means that the kids in that pool, the up to 10 kids in that pool, one of them has, uh, has, the, has the virus. And it's great to have point-of-care tests then at the school to figure out which of those 10 kids has it and to do it right away. And there are lots of ways that we're looking at it, including potentially trying to get some of those kits into the hands of families so that, um, that family members, if, you know, if your kid turns out to have COVID, you probably wanna test everybody else in the family. Um, so, um, so yes, I think they play a role. They may play a bigger role over time, but purely on the economics right now, um, the pool testing is, the, is king. Uh,
2: I'll, I'll add to that part of the discussion is, you know, really where should the onus of the testing be? Is it on the family? Is it is it something that ought to be done by the school? And um, it, it, it turns into a little bit of an equity issue as well in that just getting the kit out to the student, getting it back on a regular basis, all those things seem individually like not, a, not something difficult to do. But when you do that at scale, it's hard. I mean, even uh, just in the circles that I'm in, I've been on a, cl- a call where there's at-home testing going on and oops, forgot to bring the sample. So when this is systematically done at the schools, you can have a level of compliance with it a little bit better.
0: So it's middle of May. Bill, let's forget about schools for a minute and look to something more fun, summer camp. How is testing being used at summer camps or is it?
2: Um, So it is being used at summer camp. Uh, Guidance is coming out as uh, around this um, just this week. And uh, schools or camps are running testing programs where uh, before kids show up at camp, they will be tested and then they're tested while at camp and then Schools in particular are putting in a summer program or testing programs for summer schools and summer programs that will be happening. That's all part of the program that we're that that's rolled out already.
0: And Tim, does this have the same model that you're running um, for the schools? I mean, is it, is it going to look similar? I imagine it's got different financing or does it?
1: Yeah, actually it depends on the state. Many of the states are paying for their summer camp testing and certain kinds um, uh, may be covered as schools. Um, the, uh, the technology used is essentially the same, although uh, there are camps that are exploring the use of point of care tests on arrival, for instance. So that moment that you get off the bus or dropped off by your parents, you'd really like, before that kid kind of then goes running around in the, in the camp, you'd love to know right away. That's a great use of a point of care test. Um, the model typically has, for summer camps, has three layers. They have the test at home before you go and bring, you know, bring the piece of paper that says you got tested. Um, you know, get that at your local you know, testing site. Um, on a, on a, upon arrival point of care test to immediately know that, um, that there's no communicable disease and then surveillance testing through the course of the summer camp for the longer summer camps the multi week camps to make sure that there was nothing missed. Uh last last year there was uh before arrival testing at many summer camps and they still had big outbreaks. Somehow that, you know, that made it through. So I think they're being more careful this year.
0: And from what I'm hearing from both of you, it sounds like you're really planning to keep this pool testing program going through the camps in the summer and once students return in the fall. Yep. And so let me switch gears a little bit just before we wrap up. Uh, Tim, in addition to the pooled testing, CIC Health is potentially best known in eastern Massachusetts for running several of the state's mass vaccination sites. There's been some criticism that vaccines should be better done at a local level, where public health providers can really reach out on the ground to -to hard-to-reach populations, to people who may not have the ability or interest to go to a mass vaccination site. Are vac sites, are they all going to be wrapping up pretty soon? And are we going to be moving to more of a local public health model as things continue? What, what's the future for these mass vac sites?
1: Sure. Um, so first of all, I, I think to the people who say that vaccines should be offered locally, particularly for at-risk populations, uh, I totally agree. Um, and I think that the strategy Massachusetts used is now viewed around the world as the optimal one, which is all of the above. If you took mass vax out of the picture, um, Massachusetts would have by the numbers been a laggard in vaccine distribution in the United States. With it, Massachusetts on some metrics is the number one state in the country in terms of the speed of the rollout. Um, there are some people who uh, have the ability to get themselves to a mass vax site. You can handle you know, tens of thousands of people a day that way. And uh, it would have been very difficult to quickly Get those volumes of people processed through your local pharmacy. If you've ever been, you know, kind of in those environments, and you know, you probably got space for maybe two or three people to sit there safely distanced in the pharmacy environment, as an example. Um, so, we believe strongly in in all of the above. Um, the governor has announced that the mass sites, most of them, will be shutting down over the next month, um, and that's simply because we've reached the populations that the large bulk of the population in Massachusetts, and. The uh, the folks that, for whatever reason, haven't gotten their vaccine yet, um, they we expect them to show up at the, the local clinics and the pharmacies.
0: And you can learn a lot more about all of these topics on CommonwealthMagazine.org. Tim Rowe and Bill Jacobson of CIC Health, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you.